0: morning so maybe you've done this you've offered up a prayer it's very heartfelt it's passionate it's urgent and it's not even for yourself you've offered it for someone else you're praying for them you're pleading with god you're calling out and you're just saying lord help and god is silent heaven seemed closed your prayers seem to go like this high and then drop to the floor. Have you been there? Have you struggled with that? The, the, those are the times where we have to decide what do we think about God and what do we think about what the New Testament says and what Jesus says about prayer and asking for things. And there's a lot of confusion, and I'm not going to clear it all up this morning, but what I want to do is I want to talk about those times where You're praying to God, and it seems like heaven is closed. God is silent. And the question I want to answer this morning is, why doesn't God answer prayer? Why doesn't he? Uh, So if you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12. And uh, you may be here and you say, well, where's the book of Acts? Well, it's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John hold the horse while I get on. And Acts is right after that. So it's just an easy way to remember the order of the gospel. So Acts chapter 12, I want to start reading. And as we go through this passage, I'm going to just make some comments as we move through it and just talk a little bit about it. Acts 12.1. It was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword, And when he saw this met the approval, with the approval of the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unloved bread. Let's just stop there. So what's going on here is Herod has just put James, the brother of John, he was one of the apostles, one of the first early church leaders, and he put him to death by the sword. And he did this to please the Jews. Now, when, when we talk about Jews here, he's not talking about anyone who is a Jew or anyone who's a Hebrew, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking here about the religious leaders, the same Jews that Jesus came into problems with, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the, you know, all that group. And you say, well, why are they all upset? Well, here's why they're upset. And we've looked at it in the last couple of weeks. Because now Gentiles are being included in this new movement that they call the church, or the, they're called Christians. Now Gentiles are Christians. And so the religious leaders, the religious leaders, the Jews, were very not happy about that. In fact, they would call the Gentiles dogs. Now, it's not, don't think of American puppy dog cute, you know, cuddly. And that's not what we're talking about. It was a pejorative term. It was used to meant to. It was to say you're not even. We don't even know whether you're human. We don't know. We, you're you're just worthless. You and and so they're being included. So Herod sees this, and Herod is kind of give. You know, Rome is leading, and then you have the religious Jews who are leading, and. So to keep peace, he sees this is pleasing to them, and if it makes his life easier, so much more. So he decides to grab Peter, okay? That's the context of what's happening. All right, so he's going to arrest Peter. Jump back into the passage now. After arresting him, that's Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring uh, bring him out for, for public trial after the Passover, so Peter was kept in prison, but notice the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now remember that because we're going to come back to that. So Peter is seized; he's placed in the prison. We're going to see that he's really kind of guarded. He has four guards at all times; two are on either side of him. There's a couple of ra- uh, by the you know outside the prison guarding him, and they're, they are on uh, six-hour shifts. Four guards shift. The four guards shift in and out every six hours. So he's, you know, this is 16 guards. This is a big deal because Peter has a way of kind of breaking out of prisons, okay? And so this is what happens. And the church is earnestly praying for him. Now let's jump back into the text. The night before Herod was about to bring him to trial, by the way, he had no defense and he wasn't going to live through this, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him, uh, Peter followed him out of the prison. He, but he had no idea what the angel was doing and what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Uh, they passed first, the first and second guards, and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel said to him, left him. Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, And from everything, notice the Jewish people, that's speaking of the community, the Jewish people were hoping would happen. So Peter's release from prison is miraculous, okay? The two guards don't wake up, but the angel's got to poke Peter to wake him up, right? Come on, wake up. Get your sandals on, get your cloak on. He's bound by probably both wrists with chains. They fall off. He goes out to where there's supposed to be other couple of other guards. They're not around. They they leave the prison. They come to a gate which opens up. Peter thinks this is all a vision. He doesn't know what to make of it. But when he comes to his senses and he realizes this isn't a dream, it's a reality. This is a real prison break. When he comes to that place, he goes. He he says, "It's interesting." The phrase he uses. Uh, he basically said essentially, if you could say, well, that was surprising. (laughs) Nobody expected that. People are going to be surprised by that, because they didn't see that one coming. They all thought I was dead, right? And so um, this is where the story gets funny. I think it's humorous. I think it's hilarious. Uh, Jump back in. So he's out. The angel's gone. He realizes it's not a dream, and he's free. When When this had dawned on him, He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, uh, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back and opened it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. Now, you would expect that people who are praying for Peter's release in a prayer meeting, when they're interrupted... With the answer to their prayer, they would go, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Not, you're nuts. You're nuts. You're nuts. Right? I mean, what were they praying for? Lord, just be with Peter, you know? No, they, they were praying for his release. There he is. He's at the door. God delivers him to the prayer meeting, okay? Okay. <laughs> They they go, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that this was so, they said, it must be an angel. Now, what they're saying here is, he's already dead. And this is his angel coming to visit us. They thought for sure he was dead. We'll talk about why they're thinking this way. When she kept insisting that it was so. Meanwhile, Peter's knocking at the door. (laughs) When she kept insisting... Uh, when Peter kept knocking, and when the door opened, they saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. And he described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and they fe- they, then he left for another place. So the believers had gathered at the home of Mary, and it's important. It what, what Luke is doing here, and Luke wrote the Gospel of or wrote the book of Acts. Um, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke, and so this is like the second volume of that. But what, what Luke is showing us here is, and he points this out, because it's just kind of one of those details. You go, well, why are you telling us this? Well, you're going to see in a couple chapters, Paul and Barnabas are going to go on a missionary journey. And they're going to take a young man named John Mark, well, this is the John Mark they're going to take with them, okay? And his mother, Mary, had owned the house where the prayer meeting was taking place. So the servant girl comes and recognizes his voice in excitement. She leaves Peter outside, and uh, Rhoda uh, interrupted the prayer meeting. Um, Again, they're praying for the release of Peter, but they think she's crazy. You've never done that, right, where you've prayed for God's, answer and he gives you even more than you believe oh oh, it's true he answered your prayer but I want to talk about I want to just say a couple of things about prayer to kind of put it in perspective because I think we need to hear that Uh, what are some lessons we can learn about prayer from this passage here the first one is this you're not going to like it sometimes God says no Sometimes God just says no. He, it doesn't mean he hasn't answered. He has answered. He just said no. Did you notice verse 12? What, what happened to James? Or, what, did, you, did you see that? Verse, excuse me, verse, verse 2. Did you, hap, did you happen to see that? Let me, let me read it for you. Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Uh, do you think the church was praying for him? Right? Absolutely. What happened? Now, let's be clear what happened to him. Because the text just kind of just jumps over that. Because that's not the point. What we want to focus on, what we often focus on, is the miraculous answer that God gives us to our prayers, right? And we hear about them. Books are written by them. People go, and they stay go from... Church to church to church, and they give testimony of how God miraculously answered their prayer. It's a Peter deliverance. God brought him out, His chains fell off. He, the angel led him out, the gates were open. He comes to the house. It's miraculous. It's amazing. But in verse two, they were praying the same prayer, and what happened? Herod took his head off. That's what it means. He killed him with a sword. Well, how do you kill somebody with a sword? Over the last 15 to 20 years, you've seen people lined up by ISIS. And you've seen videos where they have a sword and they just take their heads off. That's what we're talking about. Is it any wonder that when they're praying for Peter's release and they've prayed for for this, this other brother, they prayed for him, And God said no. Is it any wonder that Peter can't imagine that he's safe, that he's outside the jail? Because he knew what happened to James. This raises a really important issue about prayer. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says not yet. We're not always in tune with God's plan or in sync with his timeline. Some of you have prayed for a miracle. You've prayed for people around you that you love and care about. And you've prayed, God, just answer this prayer. Just, this is a good prayer. And this is where your faith gets exposed. This is where the rubber meets the road for your faith. This is where you have to decide whether you're going to trust God or not. Because sometimes God is going to say no. Maybe you're there right now. You're in the middle of a battle right now, and you've been praying, and God has an answer. Or at least he hasn't given you the answer that you want. You're looking for a Peter, and he's giving you a James. You know, you read the book of Job in the Old Testament, and it's an interesting book because Job loses his family. He loses his wealth. He loses his health. And his wife basically says, I don't even understand why you're still following him. And this is what it says. Write this reference down. This is Job chapter 2, verse 9. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And later on, basically, Job says, he says, though he slay me. Yet I will trust him. It's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to trust God when you don't understand. It's hard to trust God when you don't, you can't make sense of it. It's hard to trust God when your prayers go unanswered, and they're prayers for people you love, and they're 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 they're, they're not out of the realm of of good asking, but it's still silent. By the way, the one thing that Job was was waiting for or asking for was just to have an audience with God. By the way, if you feel alone, there's probably, a, Job is somebody who is right there with you. Because even his friends, when they came, basically said, Job, what would you do to tick God off? Well, Job finally does. If you read through the end of the book, Job finally does have an audience with God. And, and, and God says, well, who is this that darkens my presence? Who is, who is, were you here when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you here when I said to the oceans, come this far and come no further? And Job says, shut my mouth. What was I talking about? What was I thinking? The question is this. Are you willing to trust God even when you don't understand his plan or his timing? I think what leads us to these these prayers where we feel like God is kind of, should or must or needs to answer our prayers in the way that we want, in the timing that we want, I think is a flawed view of faith. We have a view of faith, and and let me just give you two of them very quickly. There's two views of faith that I think are just really inappropriate and unhelpful. One is this. Faith means I'm taking a risk. The bigger the risk, the bigger the faith. Books have been written about this. People write books saying, I took a big risk and God answered, you know. And, you know, they say the problem that you're not the reason you're not seeing God answer big ways is you're not taking big risks. That's kind of the way it goes. But, you know, in Luke 14, it says, in verse 28, it says, don't build a tower unless you have the money. Don't go to war unless you have enough soldiers. Scripture isn't uh, impressed with having big, gaudy faith. Really, faith comes down to obeying and trusting. That's that's the essence of faith. And being obedient isn't risky. (laughs) You're not really taking a risk to obey God. Here's the second one, and this is probably one that you have heard and it's more common. Faith means I never doubt we're like Linus in the pumpkin patch in Charlie Brown, you know the October one they run and Linus is in his pumpkin patch and he's waiting for the great pumpkin to come down and he's got to be super sincere and if he's not sincere uh the pumpkin or the the great pumpkin will not come to his pumpkin patch and passes over and and, and the whole episode's about you know you know, did I blow it? And some of you prayed for friends and neighbors and people that you care about. And you were told by other Christians, you blew it. You doubt it. Or the person who was actually sick, you, do, you blew it. You doubt it. It's, it you're, it's on you. The reason you aren't healed is because you don't have enough faith. You've heard that. Now, how does that make you feel when you're down? And somebody kicks you you know if you only had enough faith god would heal you that your problem was with you that's a real problem isn't it can i give you some examples where people doubted and god still answered a classic one john chapter 20 the disciples are there jesus gathers and he, they're amazed they see jesus and they they one of their party's not there thomas and Later on, Thomas shows up, and they say, hey, we've seen the Lord. And he says, unless I touch him and put my fingers in his side and in his hands, I'm not going to believe. And Jesus shows up, and he says to Thomas later on, he says, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out uh, your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Did Jesus answer Thomas' doubts? Yes, he showed up. Let me give you another one. So there's this, this little boy, he's demon-possessed, and it's just driving him crazy. And it's, he's, he's just crazy. He's nuts. And, it's, and everybody's trying to help. Everybody's trying to help. And Jesus is just frustrated with it. And, he, and the man kind of comes to him. The father says, if you can do anything, I would be so grateful. And Jesus says, if. And the man says to him, and I love this, Mark chapter 9, I believe, help my unbelief. He says, I'm not at 100. I'm not even at 80. I'm probably not at 70. I might be at 51%. Help my unbelief. And what does Jesus do? He says, well, when you get to 80, call me. No. He heals him. Let me give you one, let me give you one other one. Daniel had three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were Babylonian names that were given to them. And basically the king, the king of, uh, of uh, Babylon said, uh, you need to bow down to a statue. They said, no, we're not going to do it. He says, no, you, you're not hearing me. The statue's there. You're going to bow down. If you don't bow down, you're going. You see that furnace over there that's red hot? You're going in there. And this is the response. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. You can write it down. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. That's faith. They're saying, God can deliver us from the furnace and from you. God can do that. We absolutely believe that God can do that. And then they say this, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that you we will not serve your gods, worship the image of gold that you have set up. So, The first thing they say is, we know that God can deliver us from that furnace. We know God can deliver us from you. But even if he does so, that's faith. Those first two are faith, right? Deliver us from the furnace, deliver us from you. But the third one's faith too because he says, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. That's faith. We don't know how God's going to answer this, but we still trust him anyway we're not going to cave. By the way, God did rescue them. They got they didn't bow down. They got thrown in the furnace. And he king looks in. He goes, "Wait a minute. Didn't we throw 3 in there? There's 4 guys in there. They look like they're having a party, and one of them looks like the son of man. By the way, Jesus called himself the son of man. Hmm. When you're offering up those sincere, desperate prayers to God, and you feel like heaven is closed and God doesn't care, do you understand that Jesus has gone to the cross and Jesus is in the furnace? He's in the dark valleys. He's right there with you. He hasn't left you, He is with you. But sometimes God has to say no now in this case he 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 rescues so rhoda brings the news and these are the believers they say you're crazy why weren't they expecting god to answer the prayer because they had heard about they had seen james they probably buried him so they go well that didn't work have you been there? Sometimes what we do is we ask God to answer our prayers in a certain way. God, you have to do it this way. If you don't do it this way, I had a number of times in my life where I prayed a prayer and I said, God, this is the only way I, I see you can work. God goes, Matthew, come on, knock it off. I have a billion ways that I could answer this. I may not choose your way. You have to be okay with that. Here's what I found. Don't listen to people that say, you know what? The reason God didn't heal you, the reason God's not answering your prayer, is because you don't have enough faith. God meets you in your doubt. He met Thomas in his doubt, he met this man in his doubt, he met Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they didn't have doubt. He met them, though, he met them in the furnace party in the furnace. Here's the point. Faith is trusting God even when you don't understand. That's hard to do. It's easy to say. Here's the second one. We'll go through this point but rather quickly. It's not how you pray. It's to whom you're praying. Oftentimes we get so caught up in did I say it right? Did I, you know, if you know, I have to have it perfect. I was raised in a tradition that was kind of like this. You pray this way and this many times and at this place and, with this, and this person will tell you what to do. And when you do that, then God will hear you. So you've got to go to a certain place at a certain time, offer a certain prayer. And Jesus said this. This is a Sermon on the Mount. It's an interesting passage. And Jesus says this, when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. In other words, he says, don't babble like pagans. God already knows what you need. So you say, why pray? Because it's pleasing to him, and it's important to us. It's our way of unloading to God, and we need to do that. I'll tell you what, there are times where I struggle, I'm struggling in my life and I sit down and I pray and what I've found is I've just taken a backpack of worry off my shoulders. Because I know God is, I'm carrying something that's his. But the, Paul tells us that we're praying to our Father in heaven. Look at what he says. Romans 8:15, he says, "The spirit you receive does not make us you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive has brought you about your adoption to sonship." And by him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You're praying to your Father in heaven who loves you, who loves you enough to send his son Jesus, and Jesus loves you enough to give his life for you. As a parent, you understand this, right? As a grandparent, you understand this. Your children come to you and they ask you for something, right? You're... Your six-year-old comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I want a machete. And you go, Well, that's an interesting choice. Tommy, run. <laughs> because and you go, you go, okay, so I want to be a good parent. I'm trying not to say no every time to my kids, but there's sometimes it's really important and good to say no. And so you say, you know. I'm sorry, we're not going to have to let that go. You don't say, because I know what you're going to do with it. You're going to take Tommy's arm off, or you're going you're to do stupid things. You're going to cut yourself up, and I'm going to be visiting the emergency room. That's not going to happen. Now, you can't say all that, but you just say, honey, honey, no. And he's going to say, why? And you say, because you're dangerous with things like this? You don't know how to handle it, and you. I've seen parents trying to do that, and no, I'll be careful, and, and all this, no, and and they just finally come to this. No, I said no, and that's it. You know, but here's the thing: there are times where you say no to your kids. Why? Because you have a different perspective. Because you see implications, and you'll never be able to explain it to them to satisfy them. You'll, have you done this as a parent where you try to explain it? And even when you explain it, even if they might understand it, they go, oh, well, that makes sense. I didn't think about that. Thank you for warning me. They don't do that. They just say, I hate you. You're never giving me anything I want. You're a horrible parent, right? And, that, and I think about that as a parent and as a grandparent, and I think my prayers are the same way. I'm saying to Almighty God, who loves me. And he says, No. Or he says, Not yet, or not now. I said, What are you what's wrong with you? Have you been there? We're told though in Matthew never to give up praying. Jesus says, ask and it will give unto to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door it will be open." Now again, please understand, and we know this is clear. Jesus is not saying, every time you ask, I'm going to answer. Every time the door, you know, I'm not going to give you everything you want. You know. And notice what he says. Which of you, because he, he proves that point here. Which of you, if your son... Ask for bread, you'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, you'll give him a snake. Here's the problem. We we, We don't ask for bread. We ask for a stone. And we don't ask for a fish. We ask for a snake. And sometimes God says, no. Here's what I'll do. Instead of a stone, I'll give you bread. Instead of a snake, I'll give you a fish. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to all who ask him? You know what he's saying there? Jesus is saying the Father has your back. The, the Father will protect you from yourselves. The Father will say no sometimes, and he will take abuse. And some, I've heard a number of people say, I prayed to God for the healing or for this or for that, and God didn't answer my prayer, and I walked away. You walk away like an angry child. But Jesus says, keep on praying, keep on seeking, keep on asking. So what, what do we learn from this? Sometimes God says, yes, Peter's miraculous prison break. <laughs> it even stunned Peter, it stunned the prayer meeting. Sometimes God says, no, James' encounter with Herod when he took his head off. Sometimes God says, not yet. But here's what it comes down to. In the end, you have to believe that God is just, God is sovereign, and God is good. And the lesson of Job is God is sovereign. So when you pray, you say, well, why doesn't God answer prayer? Wrong question. God does answer prayer. Sometimes he doesn't answer it the way we want it. And it may be one day that God will reveal. This is why I said no. I doubt we'll care at that point. But if we knew and if we could understand and we could see from God's perspective. Because that's kind of what happened when God opened the the viewfinder for, for Job. Job finally said, shut my mouth. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm out of my league. Will you trust God is good, and that he loves you? Will you trust that he's sovereign and he's in control? Because those are the two fatal flaws of prayer. If you can't trust that he's good, and if you can't trust that he's sovereign, then it's really hard to pray. But if you'll trust him like Daniel's friends trusted him and said, I know our God is good. I know he's sovereign. And even if things don't turn out right here on earth, we're not going to give up trusting him because we don't see everything like he does. That's prayer. Let me pray with you. Father, help us because we need your help. This is hard to do. This is a faith thing. It's an obedience thing. It's trusting what you, what you say about yourself. It's understanding. Uh, so, Father, help us to keep on asking and keep on knocking. Uh, help us to trust that you are good. You are good, Father. Help us to remember that you are sovereign. You have a plan and you have a purpose for this world and for our lives. And so when we offer our prayers for ourselves and for others, Father, help us to remember that you care for us and you have a plan for us. And that we can trust you in all of that. And help us most of all, Father, when we find that heaven seems silent and we're in the darkness, we're in the furnace, we're in the valley, that you are right there with us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.